0: Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to you, all of you who might be joining us for the first time. Sometimes in this service, and we don't have a lot of folks, but sometimes we do. It's amazing that uh, we've had lots of visitors in the, in the 9 o'clock hour, which has been great. And I uh, just so want to welcome you and look forward to just the sharing from the Word of God this morning. And uh, just want to remind you that it's been a blessing, certainly, to, to be able to share the Word of God with you. I do want to give a, a moment... Uh, one, of the, one of the roles of a pastor is to equip the saints, and so I, I would like to give you a tribute to, you uh, can take a minute here, thanks. <laughs> uh, this has been a Bible that I've used uh, for a number of years. It's uh, something that probably everybody should have. It was written, it, not certainly if it's written by God, but it was penned and, and compiled um, by Spiro Zodiades. Uh, Priscilla's dad and uh, it has um, a concordance in it, the strongest concordance part of it, it has a Hebrew lexicon, it has a Greek lexicon it uh, has a, an incredible amount of study helps, so uh, if you don't have one, get one it's really good, I, But whether it's Still in print or not, (laughs) Priscilla, I have no idea. I've had a long time, but um, it's been a great tool that God has used in my own life and then be able to share the Word of God with you this morning. So we're going to open our Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 6 this morning. I have a daunting task. I don't know, Smith leaves town. Peter Smith leaves town and then gives me these passages uh, and says, here, just take this one. Oh, thank you very much. So I have Noah and the flood. In, in one session, which is like, wow, <laughs> you know, you, you could spend probably uh, a couple of months on an incredible uh, story of, of Noah and the flood, and what all the implications uh, there have been throughout the scriptures. But I'm going to do a little something different this morning. I'm going to go through a little bit of it, uh, several introductions. While I do that, you, you can go ahead, and, and I, to, I want you to see some of the things that we think and we believe Uh, Had concerning the ark and there's a couple of places right now that are amazing if you haven't gone but there was a man by the name of uh dr ken ham who was a creationist biblicist but a creationist and he uh has created the ark encounter i think it's in kentucky williamstown kentucky it's called the ark encounter it is a living it is a replica of the ark and it's, it's huge. I mean, the ark was 510 feet long, and so they built this out in Kentucky, and you can go, and you can visit it, and they have exhibits all through the ark, and so put it, on your, put it on your bucket list, not even bucket list. Take your kids, because it's a fascinating study of what they have done, and all of that ark encounter is there. Dr. Ken Ham, look it up online. It's fascinating, and so he has a lot of tools in there as well, but I suppose if there's any story, any understanding that the world even admits, if you will, and ancient history tells us, that this particular event happened. Uh, It's written in ancient history. It's written through the the times of, of historical understandings. And so we believe for sure that this thing happened and that there was a universal flood. And so, this is not something new to man. There's a few things in the Word of God that I think men and people recognize, even almost all religions, if not all religions, recognize that there was a Jesus who died on a cross. And so there are a few things in the scriptures that, are, that history records for us, beyond what the scriptures record for us, and this is certainly one of them. Certainly, it is absolutely incredibly hard to fathom. I can't imagine. None of us can. When I was a teenager, young teenager, I went to, uh, when I went to Word of Life, I met this man by the name of Harry Balback, who was one of the founders of Word of Life, who Harry died uh, a couple of weeks ago. His wife died six days prior. It was an unusual situation. They'd been married for, I think, 72 years, been in ministry 72 years. It's a tremendous story. But one of the things that he did when he was in the early 60s, late 50s, early 60s, they went to Brazil. And they went to Sao Paulo to start with, but then they went into the Amazons of Brazil to reach the Chavanti Indians. When they got there, he tells a story, and this is the only parallel that I could possibly come up with in in what happened here in this story. And that is, he told me and told us about them having to uh, build canoes for them to get on the water, to be able to reach the Indians on the Amazon. Just one canoe took them between four and five months to make. They didn't have chainsaws, it was all by axe or hatchet, then they had, to, they had to carve, they literally carved it out of the trees. I mean, they had to fall the tree. They had to carve the tree out. Then they had to carve it, obviously, into the shape. And then beyond the shape, they obviously had to do something in order to keep it not only buoyant. It was going to be buoyant by wood, but it had to be airtight, obviously, watertight. And so they went through this process of making pitch, just like Noah, or they talk about here in, in this section of, of the Scriptures, and he said, the interesting thing about the pitch was we had several tries at it to see if it would work. We, we didn't even know. Now, the Indians had also, you know, carved out some canoes, so we watched some of what they had created. But we made this pitch, and finally we were able to, to put the pitch on the canoe. But we realized with every layer it would take at least a week or more to cure. In other words, to, to really dry, not to be tacky. So that it would really, you know, be able to be uh, water tight. And uh, it said the Indians, the one thing that we learned from the Indians was they kept, they kept putting up five fingers. They'd go like this. If you're gonna build and you're gonna put the pitch on the canoe, you gotta put five layers. That's what they meant. That they discovered that the hard way. <laughs> you've got to put five layers. In other words, you've got to take the time to make sure that you have enough pitch so that when you put it under water, it's going to be okay. So when I think of this massive undertaking, I, I don't know that any of us in this room could even begin to imagine or fathom. We, we know that it took them almost 120 years to build. 120 years. So we look at that process and we say, well, h- how did that happen? So today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the why. we are look at the how. And we want to look at some of the results from Genesis chapter 6 through 9 about this great flood. There were 10 generations between Adam and Noah. There were 10 generations between Adam and Noah. The difference here is that that, that counted for more than 1,000 years. So you ask the question, you beg the question, I'm sure you've asked this question, you know, how, how come these people lived so long? Methuselah and Noah lived over 900 years, okay? And so how come these people at that point lived that many years? Well, there's a couple, three reasons that we can probably give. God doesn't really describe it all, but there's a couple of reasons I think we can think about. First of all, God created the Garden of Eden and God created man, I believe, to be in an eternal state, When sin entered the world, Romans 10 tells us, sin caused what? Death. Okay. So God made an eternal state. He also made a canopy over the earth and over that garden, over that, to be able to not have the sun's radiation destroy men and age people. And lastly, uh, I just believe they they were good eaters as well. They were vegetarians. They did not eat meat before the flood. It tells us in in, uh, Genesis chapter 9 that God allowed Noah to then begin to eat meat. Not the blood, but the the meat. So before that, they were vegetarians, and so they lived hundreds of years. Now, the Bible also tells us that there was a movement away from that, okay? And we'll describe here that he talks about 120 years will be in this narrative. But Methuselah and Noah lived over 900 years. Shem, Noah's son, lived 600. And Terah, who was Abraham's father, uh, Genesis chapter 11, only lived 205. And so then, and David in Psalms talks about life more like today, which is what? Three score and 10, which is 70 years, which my father happened to die at 70. So that's the progression of life, and that's how that went, so uh, it was interesting that Noah, (laughs) this is kind of, Noah didn't have Shem, first the son, until he was 500, I don't know what they did the first 500 years, all right, so let's go, let's go on, let's go on to the why, here's the why, Genesis chapter, we're going to read together, Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. This is Genesis 6. It came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and I'm reading from the King James. I don't know what that version is, but I'm reading from the King James. It came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit "...shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years." See, there he he points out. "...there were giants in the earth in those days," verse 4, "...and also after that, when the sons of God..." came into the daughters of men, and they bear children to them. The same became mighty men, men of old, men of fame or renown or heroes or whatever the passage reads. And God saw that the wickedness, and here's the verse, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. It grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repented me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Well, here's the key verse. God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. So let's, here's the picture. The picture is, and there's lots of different people and lots of different versions as to who exactly the sons of God were and the daughters of men, and, and there's some variations of, of who all these people particularly were, and, and unfortunately I don't have time to kind of unpack all the thought processes, but suffice to say this, God saw the wickedness because man and, and Man basically said, I, I, don't want to, I, I don't want to follow God's plan. I don't want to follow God. I don't want to be in God's favor. I don't want to find grace in God's sight. I only want to do evil continually. I only want to do that which I want to do. And these lines in the married, And it could have been part of the Cain's line and the Seth line. The, the Cain line was, the, was the, what we would call the ungodly line. That line that pursued their own pursuits and their own ungodliness. If you will, the Seth line was the line of God—that line that came through Adam and into Seth, and then came to Noah. So that that was the one that found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And these great giants and these great heroes, or men of renown, could have been kings. It could have been princes. It could have been the people of the land themselves. We, we don't believe it was necessarily giants in the form of you know great dinosaurs. Could that have roamed the earth? Possibly. The Bible doesn't really describe to us all those little details. But the fact is that what we have is the, the, the ungodliness trying to get together, basically, with God's, God's line. And this wickedness, this imagination, this intent was only evil continually. And at that point, there are some words here in this narrative that are really interesting in 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 the the Hebrew, because it says, repented God, this is verse 6, it says, it repented, it says, it's actually a, a word that means to breathe strongly. In other words, God, he sighed. He breathed strongly. The Holy Spirit, he was so overwhelmed by the wickedness of man that God just breathed strongly. It also talks about pain. It says he grieved him at his heart. It was actually the word in Hebrew for pain. It pained him. That man had become what he had become. The parallel to this in terms of the heart, we find in Matthew chapter 24. And this is the Olivet Discourse. I'll read it to you. Here it is. It says, but of the day and the hour no, man no knows no man. This is God. This is Jesus now with his disciples on the Mount of Olives. And he's telling them, he's telling them about the end times. He's telling them about the times that they were living in. And this is where we're at today. He says not the angels of heaven but my father only. But he says this is Matthew 24:37 but as the days of Noah were so shall also the coming of the son of man be. The days of Noah, what's that? The wickedness of man every imagination and intent of his heart. I don't think we have to take much guessing to know that we're living today like that. Would we say a hearty amen to that? It's unbelievable. Since I have been home more due to COVID and all of you, the TV, the news has become something we regularly shut off. It's, you just can't take it. It's painful. The imagination, the intent of the heart is so evil It's the days of Noah. We're living just like, this is Jesus 2,000 years ago speaking to the disciples saying, get ready. Because then he says, "Uh, for as in the days that were before the flood, this is verse 38, for as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. And oh, all was well. Yeah, sure, all was evil. basically is what he's saying until the day that Noah entered the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So, he says, shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Friends, there's two things that we can read about and understand in terms of this why. That we realize that the Lord does not see the outward, but he sees the heart. First Samuel 16, when he spoke of David. Proverbs chapter 21 says, The ways of man... Right in his own eyes, but the Lord sees the heart. Jeremiah 17 says, I, the Lord, search the heart. God knows the heart, the motive of man. Matthew 5:8 and the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Romans 10:10: for with a heart man believes unto righteousness and is justified. So the whole concept that we see from the very beginning of the book of Genesis in this narrative is the fact that God sees the heart. It's all about our heart. It's all about our motive. And, and there's nothing that he doesn't know. There's nothing that he doesn't see. There's, there's no words that come out of our mouth. There's, there's nothing that happens. And this is, this is the scary one for me. The scary one for me is I, I'm so prone to, to want to think my way uh, to want my way, to be selfish, to think the way I want to think, to move how I want to think. Uh, I think you've discovered the last three or four, three and a half years I've been here, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a mover shaker. I want it done. I want it done right now. Uh, need a parking lot done? Let's go, let's go. Let's get the parking lot done. Let's get this done, let's get that done, let's get the center screen done, let's go. And if we had, you know, more people and more money, we'd have completely transform the place and get, get out there and get the people. We want to reach, reach people with Jesus Christ, amen? I'm, I'm one of those types of guys. There are some times when the Lord says, uh, why, don't, why don't you have a seat and wait on me? I'll tell you when to go, and when to sit, and when to wait, and when not to wait, and what direction we're going in, and what direction we're not going in, and that's tough for me. Some of you, the same. So, he looks at our heart, and he looks at the motives behind our heart. The second reason, that's the first reason of the why that God actually did this great flood. But the second reason, I think we all know, and that is that God is a just God. God is a just God. When he sees and understands the imagination of the heart, and he talks about it, and Jesus talks about it over and over and over again. Paul talked about it in Romans. For the wages of sin is death. We understand that there is a judgment to come. And even what Jesus was saying to the disciples, he was saying that as well. Make no mistake, there is a judgment to come. When I was at Word of Life and speaking to teenagers all the time, I would use this phrase: "You can you can be assured of one thing." Hebrews chapter nine, verse twenty seven tells us that it is appointed to man once to die, but after this, the judgment. There will be a judgment. God will judge. There will be a great white throne judgment. You can believe it, you can not believe it, you can accept it, not accept it, you can think it's not going to happen. It's going to happen. One of the great proof texts of that is the flood. (laughs) God saw the wickedness of man and he judged him for it. Make no mistake that we will stand before a holy God to give account. Those are basically the two reasons Why? There are others, but these are basically two. Well, how did it happen? Let's look in Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Then in verse 13, it says, And God said to Noah, this is verse 13, God said to Noah that uh, the end of all flesh has come before me. The earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So he destroys man and the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and that pitch it within and without with pitch. And then verses uh, 17 and 18. And behold... I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh wherein is the breath of life from under heaven and everything that is the earth shall die. But with thee, here's a, here's, here's a start of a covenant. This is one of the first covenants in scriptures. There is, an, there is an Adam covenant, but this is the second covenant with Noah. But with thee will I establish my covenant And thou shalt come into the ark, you and your sons and your wives and your sons' wives with ye. So we could, I'd love to spend, this is. Fascinating, And I trust that you, you go home this afternoon and read through it, because it is quite fascinating about all that actually happens. But I want to give you a few facts, uh, you know, on the flood. Uh, first of all, there um, we understand that it, this thing sat between the Tigris and the Euphrates River. I don't know if you guys got that. But this thing, basically, we, we believe um, that, that Noah, along with Adam and Eve, I believe it anyway. I think I see it in the Mesopotamia area, the fact that this, this between the Tigris and Euphrates River, which comes out of the Persian Gulf, you follow me where this is? This is Iraq. It's modern-day Iraq. We believe probably the Garden of Eden sat. We believe somewhere in there, that was Noah, and God caused him to build this ark in, in that area, because that area sits more or less close to where Turkey is, which was Mount Ararat, which it landed or stayed. So the ark was built for the purpose, and you saw the pictures before, the ark was built for the purpose of safety, not speed. It wasn't built to put a sail on like it was going to sail around the world. This is built basically for safety, to put the people in and keep them safe and while this thing was basically floating, you know, around the earth, it took, over, it took almost 120 uh, years to build, uh, and when, when it was finished, God brought the animals to Noah. That's an interesting fact. He brought the animals to Noah, two by two, male and female. Question, did they have babies in the ark? Well, to my knowledge, the scripture does not tell us, however... It seems as though the same language that was used for God to bring the animals was the same language that God sent the animals out. And when he sent the animals out, if you read Genesis chapter 9, uh, or at the end of 8 or 9, it talks about how he sent them out two by two and that he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. So I don't believe that they had babies while they were on in, in the ark. And certainly I don't think they had children of humans either. The uh, Bible doesn't describe all of those details, but it seems that's how, how it went down. So how did they live in that thing? Well, look, it, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, and then it was 150 days floating. A hundred and fifty days. Five months' worth of floating. I'm, I feel like COVID's done that to us. We've floated for five months. Here's what we, we said. fed the animals, took care of the animals. But it was total over a year that they were in the ark. They sent a raven out first when it finally stopped. The raven never came back. Then they sent the dove out three different times. And finally, on the third time that the dove went out, the dove didn't come back. The first time, the second time he brought an olive branch, remember? He brought a little olive twig. But the third time, the dove didn't come back. And so then Noah stayed even seven more days and then finally went out. We believe it could have been made out of cypress wood. Don't quote me on that. It's called gopher wood here. But uh, the, the cypress tree in that area was very prevalent. It also was very strong. It was very sturdy, but it was also something that was quite water-resistant, and so in order for them, again, to boil and to prepare the pitch, to, you know, hew this thing out, to use what they needed for all this wood, can can you just imagine? (laughs) I, I can't. I can't imagine all the wood that they had to get all the stalls they had to make, all the food that they had to get, all the hay that they had to get to help with the animals. I mean, it's just unbelievable, mind-boggling as to all that had happened. But it also says that the water came from underneath and above. It says the windows of heaven were open, but it also came up from the deep. And so we have this understanding that the waters ro- they came up and they came down. The waters went up, the ark floated, for all that time. And that's kind of how it went down. It's amazing that um, they obviously were able to live that many days inside an ark that probably didn't have a lot of air floating in it other than what's in it. But these people lived in it and that's what God did. He protected them during this time. Well, what are some of the results? If you look at chapter seven and verse uh, 21, I don't know if this is on the screen, but let me read it to you in 7:21, it says the following: "All flesh died, that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beast. And every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth, and every man, everything died." All in whose nostrils were the breath of life, and of all that was in dry land died. And every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground. Both man, cattle, creeping things, fowl of the air, and they were destroyed from the earth. And Noah Noah only remained alive with his family and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days, 150 days. Finally, finally, God remembered Noah. This is Genesis chapter 8 verse 1. God remembered Noah. Just a verse that basically says he not that he didn't he didn't forget him, but that he saw Noah in that moment and every living thing and all the cattle that were with him. And he says the fountains of the deep in verse 2 and the windows of heaven were stopped. The waters finally subsided. They returned basically down, down to to the earth. They basically were finally dried and got onto dry land and there they were, ready to go out of the ark. A couple, three things happened here. In verse 18 of Genesis chapter 8, we read the following. Go forth of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons with you. Take it all. Bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee, and all flesh, and the fowl of the air, and the beasts of the field. And Noah built an altar. This is verse 20. Noah built an altar to the Lord with every clean beast and every clean fowl. Then lastly, in Genesis chapter 9, we have what we call the covenant that he makes to Noah. These are the results. God makes This covenant with Noah. There's two parts to the covenant, but it says in Genesis chapter 9, verse 11 I will establish my covenant with you, neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there be any more flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you, the perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud. I set my bow in the cloud. And we all know that's the rainbow that God created. God's covenant. God's covenant was twofold. God's covenant was never again by a universal flood will I destroy the earth. Never again. The second part of the covenant was a covenant that God makes throughout all of the Old Testament with people, and that is his seed. He he continues to remind Noah, Abraham, Adam, and others beyond that the seed of these individuals, in other words, their sons and their daughters, that's the covenant that I will bless you. He says to Noah, I will bless you. I will bless your children after you. He says in Genesis, in, in verse 9, God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, be fruitful and multiply. He even says, the fear of you in verse two and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all the moods upon the earth and upon all fishes and everything and every moving thing that lives will be in fear of you. Everything that we see in this narrative of the Old Testament is a God who blesses his people he will bless you if we are obedient. He will bless our seed if we are obedient. And that's the covenant that he continually makes. If there's, a, if there's a foundation of covenant in the Old Testament, it's that one. I will bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I will bless you. So I think the two takeaways for us in this great understanding is, one, that there will be a judgment. So it's important to see how we live. The second one is that we are God's representatives. Pastor Peter has been sharing that, that we are God's ambassadors. So it's important how we live. It's important what our lives are exampled because the covenant that God has made is a covenant that is based on, I will bless you, If you will follow, if you will be obedient, if you will bless me, if you will work with me, this idea of... It's, it's not necessarily a blessing that says, that, that's not conditional. It's not conditional in the sense that Jesus died on the cross for our sin, and because of that, there's nothing that we can do. We could never come before God. We could never be made righteous. We could never stand before a holy God. We could never walk into the judgment hall of God and think that we have deserve anything. It's through him. But at the same time, his covenant is, I want to bless you. <laughs> I want to bless you. I want to give you more. I want to give you more mercy. I want to give you more grace. And I I try to wake up every morning and say, Lord, great is thy faithfulness because you're merciful to me. Great is your mercy. Great is your grace. I know that you want to bless me. And I pray all the time, would you bless me? Would you bless that which we do, Lord? Would you help? Would, Would I find favor in your sight? Would my life be that which may be pleasing to you? Help me not to fall into sin. Help me not to have imaginations and intents and thoughts that would be sinful against you. Have mercy upon me, a sinner saved by grace. I want to walk with you so that you will bless me. That's the story of Noah and the flood. Let's pray. Lord, what an incredible understanding and an incredible journey that these folks went through. Lord, what a life that we have, that we are journeying today, my life, Lord. I pray that it might be pleasing to you, and I pray, Lord, that you might help me to do that which is right in your sight, to follow you all of my days, to walk with you, to learn from you, to continue to study your word, to continue to build this great relationship with you. Lord, help me to know that there will be a judgment to come, and I pray that you might help me to be able to share my faith with people that they would not go before the judgment seat of God, that they would not see a time when you will make the final judgment. So Lord, we thank you and praise you for what we are learning in this study. In Jesus' name, amen.